Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I want to welcome everybody to the Librarian Influencers Podcast, and today we have Librarian Katie Nedved with us. So Katie, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your time in the library. Thank you for having me, Dr. Laura. I'm excited to talk about libraries today. Um, So I've been in education for about 15 years, and my first eight years were as a middle school teacher, and the last seven have been in the library. Um, I started out as a middle school teacher, and the last couple years of teaching, I taught a reading elective. Um, So that's kind of where I've always had a love of reading my entire life, but really thinking about how do we create um, an environment and a school where students love to read, because we know that that love ultimately leads to opportunity. So I kind of had a mentor um, who was the teacher librarian at my school, Barbara Fritzler, shout out to Barbara. (laughs) And she, as a, when I was a middle school teacher, she said, have you ever considered being a librarian before? And I, my undergrad was in mathematics education. So that was kind of the last thing on my radar. And um, I said, well, you're awesome and your job is awesome. So yeah, I think, that would be something I would love. And she was kind of the ultimate mentor. And from there, I um, went to graduate school, got an endorsement in library media, and here I am. Okay. And so tell us where you are right now. Like, where where do you work? So I work at Henrietta Lacks Health and Bioscience High School in Vancouver, Washington. It's part of Evergreen School District. So it's the largest, I think it's the fourth largest in the state of Washington with about 26,000 students. Okay. My school is a magnet high school with um, about 650 students. And they specialize in five different pathways, uh, nursing, biotechnology, biomedical engineering, pharmacy, and public health. And it's really a neat setup because the student population is a direct reflection of the diversity within our district because we do a random lottery so it pulls from every single middle school in the entire district interesting um yeah it's really a neat system okay and and what tell us a little bit more about the population of students like you said they're high school but i know you are from washington state um and that's a border you know one of our borders of, of america so what kind of student population do you have there Yeah, we have a wonderful, um, diverse representation of students. We have several Spanish speakers, just thinking of the top kind of four languages after English. We probably have Spanish, um, Russian, Ukrainian, and different Eastern European languages. And then we have um, Micronesia. So we do have a lot of Chuckese students. I think that's our fourth most spoken language, and that's kind of an emerging population within Vancouver. So that's really exciting to learn more about that culture and figure out ways to provide access to all of our students that speak multiple languages. So that's a lot of different languages that you're supporting. So all I've ever all I have ever had to buy for is Spanish and English. So what you're able to find those other languages um, from some of your vendors? 
It's a challenge. Um, it, at the high school level, I have the benefit of having the students help me shop. <laughs> and so they're really able to tell me, you know, what they hope that our library will have and um, really point me towards authors that they grew up with in their families. Um, I've mostly had experience so far with um, Spanish, Russian, Ukrainian, um, and we just have that emerging population of Czechies, so um, that's something that I'm excited to learn about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And with databases, do you find ones that translate over into the other languages or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we have just a wonderful partnership with our public library here, Fort Vancouver Regional Library. Okay. And, you know, those public databases have 50 plus languages available. So that's just been a wonderful resource, especially for our school, which is health and science focused. Um, that's been really neat to have that right there for us. Awesome. That's a great partnership there to collaborate with the public library. Very interesting. So Katie, tell us what you remember about your first couple of years in the library. I remember it being super, super busy and just so unlike any other job I've ever had in my entire lifetime. Um, the library is just such a uniquely positioned role where you have that contact with not only students and teachers, but administrators, a lot more than my experience as a classroom teacher and uh, the district and also community and parents. Definitely. So you just have so many different touch points as a librarian that um, I didn't experience as a classroom teacher. And also just the, you don't know what to expect each day. And that's kind of the thrill of it where <laughs> As a classroom teacher, I had structures and routines in place. I could somewhat predict how the day would roll. Um, but in library, it's like, hey, room 213 needs this. Oh, can you co-teach this lesson with this teacher? Oh, these students are working on this project. So you just are on the move. Yeah. And it makes for a very interesting role within a school. Definitely. Now, Katie, do you have any, uh, like a paraprofessional with you or are you by yourself? We each, um, Evergreen School District Library does have a library clerk okay. and um, the library clerk position and the teacher librarian position have grown each year at Gila because we started as a magnet school with only two grades and they slowly introduced the other two grades for ninth through 12th. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a part-time library clerk at Gila, but then our big high schools with two or 3,000 students have a full-time teacher librarian and a full-time clerk. I bet, wow, that would be a lot of people, definitely. Okay, because I was curious yeah. if you were talking about responding, you know, on the, on the spot each day, because that's difficult to do when you're by yourself. So that's awesome that you do have um, some, some kind of support there. All right, so if you definitely. could- Definitely, it gives you that ability to pop out of the library when you have right. another adult there. Right, definitely. So when you're thinking back to yourself at the beginning, what kind of advice would you tell yourself? I would say um, don't let the work bury you because you will have a million different things on your to-do list and you won't know what to do first, honestly, because they will all seem equally important. But if you have a student or a teacher walk in that library, be sure you put people first and that's the biggest advice don't get sucked into the online work because the in-person connections 
um, really allow for a lot of that collaboration and a lot of your programs to successfully exist. Mm -hmm. So just be sure that you're putting yourself out there, um, constantly trying to connect and um, creating a network is another huge piece of advice that I wish I would have kind of known before I started. What kind of network are you talking about? Well, when I first started librarianship, um, I felt like you were kind of siphoned into like high school librarians work with high school librarians, middle school work with middle school. But I would encourage new librarians to really think about best practice as being K through 12 and even extending mm -hmm. into where you teach, Dr. Laura, yeah. um, and thinking about best practices stretching across a student's entire lifetime. So collaborating with that um, K through five librarian on a scope and sequence for fake news instruction and just kind of um, making sure that you're reaching out to all different types of librarians, public librarians, um, school librarians, and creating that kind of robust network. Yeah, and one thing that we did, it, your stories reminded me of, of something that we did when I was the district coordinator one time, um, because we're used to working, we would have our elementary meetings, our middle school meetings, our high school meetings, but when we would come together, you know, what a different kind of a feel that that was, and so one time, we we created student profiles like what does an elementary student look like when they finish elementary and are getting ready to go to middle school what does the eighth grader look like as they're finished and getting ready to go to high school and what does a high school student look like um, as they're getting ready to graduate and go out into the world but we were looking at it like what did what did that student look like from a library perspective like what skills you know did we hope that they had obtained you know during that time with us and it was really interesting to have the other groups there and kind of work backwards or forwards, you know, from what we were thinking our kids were going to be able to do um, versus when we looked at what they needed to really be able to do by the time they were graduating and going off to college or career, you know, whatever they were going to do next. But that, that's a very interesting PLN to have it go across, you know, all those groups like that. Good point. Very good point. Yeah. And since you're the only one of you in your building, it mm -hmm. is so important to have that support. Yeah. Most definitely. Now, earlier, um, before we were recording, you were talking about reading. So tell us a little bit about um, the importance of reading from what you've seen. Well, I was just kind of reflecting on, um, in addition to the teacher librarian mentor that really said, hey, have you thought about library? I was just thinking about while teaching that reading elective, just the power of reading and how a positive experience in reading can change the whole trajectory for opportunity for a child. Yeah. And a lot of those students in that reading class, I just felt like they had had something tell them, whether it's a test score or um, an experience they had in kindergarten, just something tell them that they were not a reader. And so how do we change that and how do we let them see themselves as readers and learners, and then ultimately that will lead them to more diverse opportunities um, as they become adults, really. Yeah. And when you think about your students at the magnet school, are most of them already strong readers just because of the, the very academic topics that they're going to be studying there? No, and we have just such a wonderful, diverse makeup um, reflecting every single middle school in this middle school in the uh, district comes to our school. So um, even at the high school level, you know, that 
opportunity to giving opportunities for them to read, whether it be having reading available in different formats. Um, when you think about ebooks and audiobooks and using those databases that have those different languages, mm -hmm. really facilitating the use of technology that equalizes that playing field for reading. Um, like Snap and Read is an extension that really been looking at this year in instruction and co-writer and those kind of tools that just kind of make it still accessible for all students to access materials in class. I'm not familiar with Snap and Read. What, what is that? So it can, um, it's a Google extension. We have Chromebooks in Evergreen School District, so we look at a lot of extensions. Yeah. And it can highlight text. It can, um, you can have kind of a notepad to the right side of if you're reading an article and take notes. But then the big thing is you can take notes across several pieces of text, which is a skill that we really work on in high school. So having two or three different articles up and really doing kind of a cross analysis on that. Okay. So just those okay. little tools that help break down um, reading for students and something that they can carry on then into college or into career. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds really interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. So at your school, um, you, you've got your, yourself, you have your clerk, um, and you've been there now for a while. T talk a little bit about what you see as the influence that a librarian has on a campus and really even the community around. Yeah, I think that you just have this high capacity to collaborate and we kind of discussed there's no other you in the building. Um, you have these touch points with teachers, students, admin, district, community, parents, and kind of an imaginative space where anybody can come in and identify with what you have in your collection or the displays that you have. Um, I think it's so important to really have things, especially in the school setting, that are student-driven so having, you know, working with students to create those displays. We had, for Hispanic Heritage Month, we had some leadership students really want to um, celebrate some of the books that we had in our collection, but then we paired that with, they brought in authentic Mexican dresses that they um, do Mexican, traditional Mexican dancing with, and we had these, um, since we're a health and bioscience school, we have skeletons. And we put the dresses on the skeletons and display and just kind of um, modeled them dancing. And it was just a wonderful representation. Um, they were able to share with classes their heritage. And um, they also danced at our book fair. But just having that student agency and having it just clear from the moment people walk in that um, you are an inclusive environment, I think is how you influence. Very good. And you're bringing in part of our um, national library standards, you know, when you're talking about the being inclusive. So that's awesome. Um, so as we're looking at next year, I know your school year just ended. What kind of influence are you thinking about for next year? Well, with remote learning, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and schools in our area and across the world have been shut down for a couple months now. Um, we're really identifying gaps and just who is able to continue learning at home and who is not and how do we as a resource kind of 
equalize the playing field. And um, one of the big goals, you know, in addition to supporting project-based learning at our school and collaborating, I think um, district-wide Evergreen librarians are looking at a diversity audit. Okay. And one of our, our big goals okay. is to really identify, you know, which subpopulations of our students are being represented in our collection K through 12 mm -hmm. and which ones are not. And we're lucky to be in a district where they have invested and committed um, to financially back us up with um, really getting a diverse collection. So that's kind of our, we've been working on it this whole year and it's a huge summer project for a lot of us working over the summer and something that we hope to get teachers, students, and community involved in how do we transform our libraries. Very neat. Now with that diversity audit, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about it online in Facebook groups or on Twitter. Are there any tools or rubrics or things that you're using? Or are y'all just creating this all on your own? Um, we have been fortunate to work with Jennifer Lagarde. So if you're a new librarian, go ahead and look her up. Definitely. Um, she has some amazing resources and she kind of just, ignited the fire behind all of this. We have some librarian leaders in our district that kind of got the torch handoff from her and have carried it. But um, I'm actually meeting with an elementary rep and a middle school rep this afternoon. And um, we are creating a survey that will go out to families and then students and teachers and staff um, just getting feedback on what they want to see in their library, but then we're also creating spreadsheets. So for example, for the high school library, I really want to take a look at our literature sets, and those are the the whole book or whole class reads that um, students have within the classroom, uh, yep. grades 9 through 12, and just seeing, you know, how many of those authors are white, how many of those authors are male, um, and really taking a deep look at representation. Yeah. And include how many of those authors passed away years ago. <laughs> That's something I see when I see yeah. it. They're not, not things a lot of kids want to read, you know. <laughs> yeah. And how can we, you know, look at contemporary authors, but still examine critical literary techniques oh, yeah. that are still exists in today's literature in addition to canon literature. So definitely definitely value in the past, but it's also awesome to bring in, you know, new voices that they can really connect with. So that's great. Very good. All right. So I always like for um, the people that I interview to have a time to talk about like their main thing. You know, like what what is the main thing that you really want for other librarians to know um, as they're starting out in the field? Just that we are the helpers and that our role is truly one of service and just being passionate about learning. Yeah. Um, I really love, love, love the Toni Morrison quote where she talks about access to knowledge is the superb and supreme um, reflection of kind of a great society mm -hmm. and free libraries you know, do this, they support that. So um, I just feel like we are the connectors, we are the helpers, and libraries are one of the great institutions in society, and it's just 
it's an honor to be kind of um, at the forefront of that with fellow teacher librarians and academic librarians, public librarians. Mm -hmm. It's a great job. <laughs> and I love, you know, you talked about the helpers and you talked about connectors. Um, could you could you describe any times where maybe you've connected out to the community? I know you've mentioned PBL. I don't know if that might fit in, but um, what are some times when you've really helped connect your school to the outside community? Yeah, we were fortunate enough to receive the Follette grant this year um, because we highlighted a project that we had been doing with our pharmacy pathway um, called the Sunscreen Project. Okay. So when you think about project-based learning, you think about connecting with people and resources kind of outside of the walls of your school. Mm -hmm. And we connected with a paddleboard company in Hawaii called Lights of Hawaii. And the students were so into it. And that's the sign of a wonderful project. So they examined the toxicity um, that sunscreen is placing on coral reefs. Okay. And the paddleboard company got them live footage, um, just looking at, you know, physical changes and what they can do to advocate for change. So they created brochures that then this paddleboard company is still giving to customers. So it's just that real life content and real life contact yeah. that made the project just so powerful. And as the librarian, you're connecting, you're making those outside connections to just kind of push that learning mm -hmm. um, because like we discussed librarians and libraries are the ultimate connector you're connecting people to resources most definitely so for our brand new librarians that are just starting out do you have any like first steps that you would give them well we talked about a network i think that that is a great tool as you start off um, other advice is to just put yourself out there. You know, ask your principal if you can be part of that first staff meeting, really getting out there in front of teachers and showing them, you know, how you can help, be the helper. Um, really connecting and collaborating and not being discouraged when it feels like people might be too busy. Um, they have you on their radar, so you need to not give up and keep reaching out and you know those collaborations and those connections will come mm -hmm. so really just pushing your comfort zone exploring um, new connections and basically keep pushing yeah definitely and and always tell people target your brand new teachers <laughs> you know they're looking for a friend they're looking for a place to fit in they're a great person to connect with also um, so that's just another little piece of advice there all right, so definitely with the co-teaching the new teachers, it's wonderful to co-teach and bring those new teachers, um, especially if you, a lot of Washington State librarians started as a classroom teacher. So it's really neat to be kind of a mentor with instruction for new teachers as well. And I, you know, new teachers are often surprised to learn that it's the same in Texas, you know, classroom teacher first. They're like, oh my gosh, you were a teacher? You know, and just that is a bond, you know, like someone who can it help. It totally is. Yeah, definitely. Well, Katie, thank you so much for sharing things today. I mean, you had a lot of good advice and I, I just love the, the things that you were talking about with community and being a connector and 
um, just really practical things. So as we're closing out our time, um, what, how do you keep learning and growing in the field? Yeah, I think conferences are the ultimate tool for <laughs> librarians. So we have the Washington Library Association. Um, I've been fortunate enough to present at a few local conferences with colleagues and you make so many connections. Um, we presented on different technology tools and fake news instruction resources. And then within our audience, we had a Seattle Public Librarian that then approached us after um, our session and said, hey, do you want to collaborate? And that led to three other conferences that oh, we collaborated on with him. So it's just neat to uh, make those connections and keep you know, following those influencers online. I love, we mentioned Jennifer Lagarde, um, Jason Reynolds has some amazing content right now. He's the young adult um, library of Congress ambassador. He does something called Drop the Mic, just really neat creative writing tools for students. Um, Zaretta Hammond for culturally responsive teaching. Okay. So just so many people and so many resources. And I think Twitter has been a, a huge tool for me to follow some of those influencers in addition to those physical, again, we're combining that physical and digital experience for kind of professional development. And for those who are listening right now, we, I will sh um, create some show notes from this podcast that will be linked out and we'll put the names of um, Zaretta Hammond and Jason Reynolds and we'll provide some links to them so that you can learn about them and follow them as well. So Katie, thanks so much for this advice. And if anybody wants to connect with you and follow you, where can they find you online? Yeah, so I have um, my Twitter handle is at Katie Nedved, and then for the student-facing um, kind of social media, I use Instagram, so okay. at Hela H E L A underscore Library, right. um, and then I also have our library website linked. So go ahead and check that out. We had a neat caught get caught reading uh, promo in May that's linked on the Instagram and the website. Something that you did remotely? You did it all online? Yeah, we needed to find creative ways to connect with students with this distance learning. So we did a really fun uh, promotion with Get Caught Reading. Awesome. Good experience. All right. Well, Katie, I look forward to following you online and getting more ideas and inspiration. And thanks so much for your time today. Nice meeting you. Thank you so much, Dr. Laura. All right. Bye-bye.